Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, the election is over, but election season is just getting started. We've got your look ahead for what's coming in November. Plus, there's a new artistic director at the Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, and we've got a very special thank you to a listener in the South Hills. It's May 19th, the Friday News Roundup. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. I'm with CityCast lead producer Mallory Falk. Good morning. Good morning. And CityCast newsletter editor Francesca DeVecco. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Have y'all both recovered from your late night earlier this week? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Mallory looks less sure. I'm still still catching up on sleep, but <laughs> I'll get there. You guys let me sleep in a couple hours, but truthfully, I was up anyways. Um, you know, it's fun. Although, Mallory, you reminded me, we didn't order any election night pizza. So I know. We want I had like sad election night frozen ravioli, which is not the way to go. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe Maybe I'll get some pizza today to make up for it. It looks effortless uh, once you get your newsletter and hear your pod, um, but the team was up super late. Uh, I think y'all finished just just before midnight. Is that right? Yes, we did. I was very proud of us logging off at 11.54. Yes, I would say it was a, a success. I feel like that's like the equivalent of hitting like the chest timer, you know, like you did right. it. I'm done. I did it. It's your turn. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> That's super cool. Um, so, yeah, huge props to the team for pulling that off and making it look as easy as you do. It's great. Well, thank you for all the work that you helped us with. Um, So going into election coverage and talk, I just want to first start with one thing. Um, Voter turnout. Um, Maybe I have too much faith in people, but I was just a little disappointed by our voter turnout. I think it was around 30 percent. Which is exactly what they said it would be. So, you know, polls were correct. Yeah, they estimated correctly. But, you know, for something as important as county executive and district attorney and all these other roles, um, even like the local school boards, I maybe thought that there would be more. I actually I'm looking at the map right now, the voter turnout map, and um, I was looking at the percentages. And so we have the highest percentage uh, of the voter turnout out in Forest Hills at 47.69 percent. So almost at that 50 percent mark. Then the second highest I saw was in your neck of the berg, Mallory, out near Highland Park in Ward 10, District 8 at 46.17%. And the lowest one was a teeny district in... <laughs> Put them on blast, Francesca. Yeah. This has definitely got the same like tone that you have in the newsletter when you're like, will you please write back to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're totally. shaming people. I love I, it. I like to think that our listeners are active voters. Um, and if they've been listening to us, they know how important these races are. Or reading um, your newsletter. Yeah, that too. Um, and uh, so wait, so the lowest one um, was Ward 4, District 8. It's a, it's a little one in Oakland, and that one was 0.99%, so not even 1%. If it was in Oakland, though, how many of the voters there might be students who aren't actually registered in Pennsylvania? Yeah, or those are non-primary residences because like, the actual owners own multiple properties and vote under their primary address. That's a really good point. Yeah, when I looked at the map, it looked like it was right by the Carnegie Museum. So like that would that would check out. But still, when I saw the number, I was a little shocked. I was like, wait a second. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that. Do we have a sense of how turnout compared this time around to like previous primaries that aren't for, you know, presidential races? Like is 30 percent kind of how it goes for Allegheny County or was this year different at all? My understanding is that that number is based on previous results for similar types of elections. Um, Of course, there's always deviations in how these things can crop up, especially with special elections or people that are term limited. But yeah, um, I think 30 percent was the best possible outcome and we managed it. So, hey. That's something. Francesca's not feeling it, though. I see that face. <laughs> I want more engaged voters. <laughs> it's OK. We'll we'll take what we get. So for county executive, um, Sarah Inamorato pulled it out in the end. Um, she was really climbing the polls uh, towards the back end of the race. Um, I know John Weinstein was obviously like a front runner sort of to start. Um, he definitely had the most money to begin with, um, but did not manage to win. Um, I don't know. Anyone surprised? Because- of all the white men in the race. That's true. That's what um, he said. Actually, we have the clip. This is from his election night concession speech um, from KDKA. There were too many, too many people in the boat. Uh, there were too many, there were too many white men running in this race, and that's the reality of this. Um, yeah, there were just too many white men. That's just all there is. <laughs> but I'm glad. I'm good for Sarah for winning. Is the quote. <laughs> Yeah. And just as a reminder uh, to our listeners, county executive is probably the most important position in this region. It's, you know, really similar to like a mayor's office and sets priorities um, and and works with its own council to govern like all sorts of important offices. The health department, the airport um, oversees the county jail, which if you tuned in to last week's episode, you know, um, is having is, problems. Is, yeah, right. there's a lot going on there. Um, so this is like a very, very consequential office. Our current county executive, Rich Fitzgerald, has served for more than a decade, but um, he is term limited. So he couldn't run this time around. And that kind of made it anyone's game. Totally. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I found really interesting about this race is that it seems like maybe endorsements don't really mean anything anymore. Um, like Rich Fitzgerald's anointed parties like Zapala for district attorney and Michael Lamb for a county executive didn't matter. Um, it was really a changing of the guard. Yeah, I was wondering that because Weinstein, he was endorsed by the Allegheny County Democratic Committee. Then Lamb had, you know, Rich Fitzgerald in his back. And then uh, Sarah was endorsed by current mayor Ed Ganey, along with like um, the young Democrats of Allegheny County. So it's All like the unions, which right. are also huge supporters of Ganey, too. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. The thing is, though, you know, we've been seeing in the last several elections that there is this real appetite for change, appetite for more progressive candidates, breaking with the old guard. And so in some ways, if you're looking for a new direction, then having a candidate who has Rich Fitzgerald's stamp of approval, maybe that endorsement actually hurts you. Right. You know, if people want something different than the Fitzgerald administration, then they're not going to go for the guy who has his blessing and his backing. Totally. Um, And then, of course, so now that Sarah Inamorato is moving on to the general election in November, she'll face uh, Republican Joe Rocky, who had no competition. Um, He was pretty much guaranteed. Uh, I guess he'll have to also heard um, someone pointing out that he didn't really have to campaign at all. So now we'll see whether he can against Sarah. Um, But, yeah, that means that her House seat, if she's successful in November, her House seat will be up for grabs, too, which will mean once again the Pennsylvania House hinges on one Democratic seat. Wow. Um, So there'll be another special election to replace her and the Democratic majority will hinge on that again. 
thinking about living through that a second time around. <laughs> a third. Here we go. Third. Third. Right. Third. <laughs> Get your pizza ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, District Attorney, Public Defender Matt Dugan won. Is anyone not surprised? I was a lot less surprised than you were, I think, Megan, because, I mean, for the reasons I just mentioned, that we've seen, you know, this swing toward more progressive candidates, probably starting in 2018 with Inamorado and Summer Lee winning the House. Summer yep. Lee went on to Congress, Ed Ganey becoming mayor. So it really does seem like there's a desire for people who are going to change. And, you know, I was thinking about it this morning, like when Zapala took power was the same year I was studying for my bat mitzvah. And I'm like an <laughs> elder millennial now. That's a very, very long tenure. And I think it, to me, it's not surprising that when people had an opportunity uh, to choose something different, in this moment, that's the direction they went for. Granted, like it didn't happen last time around, but um, yeah, I was less surprised. I was talking to some uh, journalism mentors of mine in town and they pointed out something I thought was like really, really interesting. And certainly before my time here in Pittsburgh, I mean, even if I'd lived here, I would have not had a clue or a grasp of this. But um, when he first got to office in 1998, um, it was mostly on the name recognition of his father, who was president judge of the oh. state Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had never had prosecutorial experience ever. He was appointed and there was someone else who was favored for the job who had lots of experience. And as soon as Apala got into office in 98, he fired the guy. Guys, I was So he's been in office for 25 (laughs) years and winning elections. So people have, you know, gone with it. But like, still, that's a long time based on a sort of like, I don't know, an appointment to start with no experience. That's interesting. Family names mean a lot in this town. So much. Yeah, totally. It really does. I was just going to say, I knew the names of Pala before I even knew what district attorney did. Like, it it was just this sort of, uh, just this name that you recognize in town. And I'm not, you're right, Mallory. I'm not not surprised that people want a name change. Um, (laughs) That's so funny. And district attorney, by the way, if you don't know, um, is a chief prosecutor. Um, so they're the ones in charge of like rubber stamping and also issuing charges on major major cases, things like that. Um, it's a really, really important role and kind of sets the tone for a lot of things. Um, and now we're going to have not just a new new name, a new face, but also someone with public defender experience, which I think is really interesting. Matt Dugan brings like a wealth of background there. And he's really like rallied a lot of support in the reform communities, mm-hmm. especially around how we treat our jail and things like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes, especially since we may end up with a rematch in November. Yeah, I guess a lot of Republicans put Zipala as their write-in choice right. for this race. And so the numbers are still being tallied, but it seems like he's going to have enough names behind him to run on the Republican ticket. Yeah, you only have to have 500 write-in votes to be able to be on that ticket. And um, I think it was Chris Potter at WESA said that he was being a little coy after the fact. Um, but that he said that he suggested that he would probably run in under the Republican ticket, which is nuts to me. Yeah. Like they, they said he didn't say definitely, but he replied, I believe I've been nominated by the Republican Party. We'll see. I mean, we're only at halftime of this campaign, so options are open. Well, lots to follow for, for the coming days. And those were kind of the two like biggest, most substantial races everyone had their eyes on. But we also had a number of local city council races. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, just to quickly run through them, um, the North Side District One, Bobby Wilson fended off his challenger. All the incumbents actually did uh, well against their challengers. Barb Warwick, Deb Gross, um, and then Bob Charland won in District Three. Um, he was unopposed, so we knew that, but still. Um, and then Kahari Mosley won for District Nine. That was um, Reverend Ricky Burgess's seat. Um, Kahari, if you, he's been in Democratic politics for a very, very long time. Um, he's also, if you recall, the husband of former County Controller Chelsea Wagner, who is a judge now. So, oh. another connection there. Also, let's not forget uh, City Controller Rachel Heisler pulled that one out. Yeah, and just a reminder: controller means you control the money. Glad someone's doing that. <laughs> Hey, Pittsburgh. Behind those stately red doors on Bingham Street, the brilliant minds at Pittsburgh's City Theater have a brand new stage show for you. It's a modern revamp of the Shakespearean classic Hamlet. Fat Ham follows a young queer black man named Juicy, whose father visits from beyond the grave to demand Juicy avenge his murder. Check it out through March 24th and get your tickets at citytheatercompany.org. Use code CITYCAST, all one word, for $5 off. Speaking of new directions for our city, we have a new director for the Pittsburgh Ballet Theater. Yeah, has anyone ever been to a show there? I haven't. No, neither have I. I'm pretty sure I went on like a field trip to the Nutcracker with my school when I was a child, but I don't know that it left a strong impression, but that was my only experience. I did ballet as a very small person. I was literally a foot taller than every other girl in the class um, and had no natural grace. It didn't last long. (laughs) You know, I only recently went to the Pittsburgh Symphony, so maybe this is next on my list. I'm just starting to get into those sort of legacy arts. Yeah, I think that's kind of the plight of most of our legacy arts organizations in Pittsburgh right now, you know, that balance between respecting the classics while staying relevant and bringing in new audiences. Um, We talked to the artistic director ourselves, Adam McKinney, about kind of his vision for all of this. And he thinks that um, their new show, Sleeping Beauty, that opens tonight, is a good example of this. Everyone has a body. Everyone moves. And because everyone moves, everyone is a dancer. And independent of um, whether or not you've studied ballet. I believe that everyone is a dancer. Our 2023-2024 season has been announced and our marketing language for the season is come dance with us. And if any of your listeners have been to any of the events that I've been at, they will know that uh, I get people dancing. And uh, moving forward, that is my goal is to um, not only engage in a in a communal practice of moving, because I think that it is inevitably communi- a community building activity, but there there are also health benefits, you know, to moving and to experiencing arts and culture, and to doing that together. I think is um, also has healing capacities. Um, so my interest uh, for community engagement in that way is to engage um, dance as a community building activity. Mm, that's really beautiful. Yeah. 
So he's got a bunch of goals. Um, he said he wants to be a good listener. Um, he knows he has Pittsburgh ties, but he's also brand new to the organization. Um, his dad was here. He was a prominent um, union attorney for many, many years. Um, he wants to be a good neighbor, so collaborate with arts and tech and education spaces. Um, also wants to maintain the tradition that the ballet theater has set in, um, bring in new choreographers to maybe expand our ideas of some of that traditional storytelling. Um, he talked about this like really unique challenge of trying to keep the same steps, like the technical choreography, um, but adding different kinds of elements and how you move or the number of spins mm -hmm. to make it feel more modern, mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, here's what he said about that. What are the stories that we tell? For whom are the stories that we tell? And why do we tell these stories? And what stories are missing from the lexicon of stories that we tell? And I think that it's important to mention that we are asking these questions, not only here at Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, but certainly uh, in the field at large. So are they diversifying audiences? I think they're trying. Um, you know, I asked him about, like, dancers on the stage, folks in charge, bodies in the seats. He said all of the above. Um, I wondered if maybe they might offer discounts or like, I don't know, go to schools and like dance yeah. in the gymnasium instead of just on one big stage yeah. that feels fancier. He said he's open to any of it, um, particularly the school element. He said he really, really, really likes being able to get up and show people that it's it is technically challenging. It is an art, but it's also for everyone. So I thought that was kind of cool. That is well, cool. And isn't he pretty new to the scene. Like he just got to Pittsburgh a couple of months ago, right? So I imagine yep. it's probably a little too early to tell sort of what his impact will be on the theater and what, you know, meeting some of those goals of bringing new people in or bringing new people on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to that uh, education component, he spoke a lot about that concept of dance literacy, that it can feel really foreign to you if you're not, you know, familiar with dance spaces. You don't know how to like articulate whether it's, you know, this is a fine example of something or someone's just kind of moving up there. Um, so he wants <laughs> to get into schools and, you know, kind of explain it a little bit. Um, I didn't realize he's a former public school teacher. Um, oh, so he cool. had a lot to say about redundancy. Like in your syllabus, you can say point A and you say it like 50 times and you provide lots of entrances into the information. Um, and I think that that's not unlike what it means to make ballet accessible and the function as well as the form. What do you guys think? Do you want to give it a try? I mean, not ballet itself. But <laughs> I'm not personally it. going to try to dance. No, pirouettes are in my past. <laughs> yep. No, not me either. But would you go and watch a show? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm tempted to go see this, uh, you know, new performance of Sleeping Beauty to kind of see how all of this comes together on the stage. This this idea of keeping things, of honoring what ballet has been and, and trying to refresh it at the same time. Yeah, it's this weekend only. So May 19th through 21st at the Benetton Center. Um, he said the choreography was actually like uh, first set in 1890, um, but they've tried to make it fresh for 2023. 
Very cool. And if you want to get out there in the summertime, maybe um, not indoors, there are a series of outdoor performances from June through September. Um, a lot of them are, are collaborations. So there's open air at Westinghouse Arts Academy in Wilmerding. That's June 22nd through 25th. There's the ballet Under the Stars at Hartwood Acres. That's August 20th. And open air at Hazelwood Green with August Wilson African American Cultural Center and Hazelwood Local. That's September 29th through October 1st. So more more chances to get out there and, and see our Pittsburgh Ballet. Thanks, Francesca. You always know what's going on. <laughs> so switching course a little bit. Uh, if you guys remember <laughs> a few weeks ago uh, before the Pittsburgh Marathon, we were we were talking about all of the plans. And uh, Megan, you were you were fangirling about um, <laughs> about the marathon and the runners and, and just what it takes to put this event together. But Mallory and I were a little bit more skeptical. Very. I need you to explain to me, like, I understand why somebody would want to run a marathon. It's a desire I've always wished I have, but I just don't. I get how if you have someone important in your life running, that it's really fun to go out and cheer for them. But the piece I don't understand is if you really have no connection to it, why would someone want to watch? Mallory, have you changed your tune? I have, thanks to one very dedicated listener. Yeah, so we had uh, one very special listener write in to us, Erin Lemon. She invited us to experience the marathon in a different way. Yeah, through her uh, watch party that she always has on the Birmingham Bridge. Watch really isn't the right word for it, though. She is fully involved with a bullhorn the entire time. Um, actually, we have some tape of that, too. You got this. And she has this whole crew that's there on the bridge handing out Twizzlers to the people running by. And this is what totally sold me on the event because you could see how much joy these Twizzlers brought to runners. We were invited to help hand out the Twizzlers ourselves. And so many people told us, this is my favorite spot every yeah. year. I'm always waiting to get to see the Twizzler ladies. We had people <laughs> say, I've been hearing about the Twizzler ladies for years and it's my first marathon and I'm so excited to experience this. And just like being out there bringing people joy Felt very different than sort of what I imagined of standing on the sidelines, not participating at all. Yeah, like literally yeah. dozens of people staring at you saying, oh, my God, you're saving my life right now. Like, yeah. no hyperbole. Like, it's great. <laughs> it's so cute. Or a few people who were so polite, like, I'm sorry, I just got gummy worms at the last stand, but thank you for what you're doing still. <laughs> my favorite yeah. moment was looking over at Mallory, who was fully twirling her Twizzlers and dancing. <laughs> <laughs> really it was more suggestive than I might <laughs> Francesca, you was, were the same too, though. You had your bucket, you had your hand outstretched, you chased somebody at one point because they did, weren't able to make the handoff. <laughs> right, right. It was a lot of fun. Like, I think, first of all, having the opportunity to be in the middle of the bridge, like any bridge, like when everything's 
closed off and shut down. Um, it was just really cool to sit there and just take in the city. And I think I said this to you guys then, but you are you you should feel good. I must really like you if I show up at like six a.m. Uh, <laughs> on a on a Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, not on a work day to participate. So um, yeah, so special thank you to Erin, um, her friend Amy, and and their whole crew who who had us out there. Um, it was just such a um, a cool thing to be able to experience like a listener engage with us and then we actually show up and meet them so here's your invite everybody <laughs> send us an email to pittsburgh at citycast.fm if you ever want to invite us to go somewhere or you want to challenge uh some way we feel about something um we we want to engage so yeah yeah uh she said she regretted it at the moment that we responded she was like oh my god what have i done um but it was a great time shout out also to michelle and chrissy and john um it was great it was so much fun i can't believe you can fit 75 pounds of twizzlers on on a little red wagon. Megan, I have to say, you know, there were fewer sequins and costumes than I was promised at this <laughs> marathon, but the Twizzlers and the company more than made up for that. I'll take it. True. <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our music is by Benji Mallory Falk is our lead producer. Maria Carter is our audio producer and Francesco DeBecco writes our newsletter. I'm your host, Megan Harris. We'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend, everyone. You say Zapala, I say Zapala. There's our blooper.